Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, otherwise known as The Lip. Um, today, we've got a great guest, um, Marcus Schmalbach, who is the CEO and founder of RiskX, which is a parametric insurtech solution for the insurance industry. Marcus is a really interesting character, had a great career, joined the traditional insurance industry um, through choice, didn't fall into it, academically set himself up for it, um, has something to do with him being from Baden-Baden, but um he went into academia um, and then whilst in academia, still very much related to the insurance market and stumbled upon um, the challenge of using blockchain in the insurance market and RiskX is essentially the result of that. Um, great character, Marcus. Him and I bonded uh, originally. I think we were being quite rude about something that happened in the insurance market um, and uh, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye with what the sentiment in the marketplace um, we talk a lot about that, about challenging um, existing practices, um, how we need to utilize technology to make us better and not see it as a challenge, but also challenging culture. So this is a real wide ranging interview, um, really good fun. And I think you're going to enjoy this one. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership in Insurance podcast, affectionately known as The Lip. Um, very lucky today be, to be joined by Marcus uh, Schmalbach. Um, he is the CEO and founder of RiskX, which is a really interesting uh, parametric uh, insure tech solution. Um, Marcus is very kind to talk to me um, a couple of weeks ago uh, and we've, uh, we've he's got a really interesting story and um, and some really good energy as well so hopefully we'll get into some pretty good conversations and, and actually I think we engaged uh, first off by <laughs> being quite rude about <laughs> a few things that we uh, we agreed on that the market doesn't necessarily agree with us so hopefully we'll um, we'll get into that um, but welcome Marcus. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Great to be here. Thank you very much for your invitation. No, thank you. Well, I wanted to dive straight into it because um, one thing that's kind of becoming increasingly common with the insure tech founders I speak to is that they have, they have sort of unusual career paths for an insurance executive. So, but you but you joined you joined the insurance market proper, didn't you? Um, was that straight from university or education or? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, directly from university, I started my career within an, um, a, an industrial insurance broker, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, first insurer, reinsurer, university, back to university, and then the startup. So, <laughs> in a nutshell, so I've, I, I, I think I can say I've seen the whole value chain. Yeah. So why why insurance in the first place? Because I, I I did the same. I went into insurance straight from university. But... I, I know nobody, even in my team, trust that's trust me when I tell that story. But um, I was born and raised in um, Baden-Baden, uh, in a beautiful town of southern Germany. And maybe for for the guys who listen to this podcast who do not know, there are two big reinsurance uh, congresses every single year not this year, but normally. The one is in uh, Monte Carlo, the other one is in Baden-Baden. And uh, when I was uh, a young boy going to school, I always realized one week was completely different from all the other weeks in Baden-Baden because the reinsurers came into town. Um, Yeah, Uh, persons well-dressed and with the 
with the big money in in the in the wallets and uh, so i asked some of them what are you doing guys what is a reinsurer doing and he described it to me and i thought to myself okay this is something you should do in your in your further career mm-hmm. and so i really um i know it it, it sounds a bit like a, a fairy tale but this was the beginning of my of my um yeah of my career more or less because i went to university and focused on finance and risk. I always loved these topics. And so, um, yeah, afterwards, I didn't go directly to the Munich or the Swiss Re or someone else. Um, I started with um, an industrial broker uh, uh, close to my hometown. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you, um, then you went to Allianz, did you, on the underwriting side? Exactly. I've been uh, to Allianz making a trainee with a focus on sales. Mm-hmm. Um, as I uh, realized, it was really interesting um, working for the broker I was with. But they have been. Um, um, yeah, I, 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 I wanted to, to change uh, after three years. Um, I'm, I needed a change. I wanted to see the opposite side of, of the table and became the opportunity becoming a trainee in sales. I always focused on relationship sales topics and so yeah Allianz is one of the biggest names in the world and especially in Germany a wonderful uh, company so um, yeah it was great joining a blue chip company here. Mm -hmm. It's quite um, I think one thing that I've noticed about your career is that there's there's a lot of element on clients uh, client relationships uh, sales business development um, which for someone that's like so so heavily technical as well that's quite a that's quite an interesting dichotomy of skill set um, do you think that's important to someone who's going to look to sort of launch a startup? I think it definitely helps um, because the thing I, I, I love to work in sales is really um, you're sitting in front of uh, the client, um, um, which means on the one hand, you receive the positive feedback uh, as the first one. On the other hand, um, you get the, the negative um uh, aspects as well directly from the client as the first one in the company so um, I think you really have to understand the clients first mm, mm. frankly I would, I would I would not say the the customer centricity approach is coming more and more in the insurance industry and we we drop that uh, sorry I call it a buzzword but we drop it more and more and the design thinking starts more and more um, mm. especially driven by the startups but without being rude hopefully um in in the 15 years ago when i started there was not nobody knew what customer centricity means uh, mm-hmm. our job was selling our products mm-hmm. and sometimes it fit perfectly with the client sometimes it doesn't um so it was really interesting to get an understanding what does the client really want and uh, so the the sales if you do it correctly is more or less the first innovation yeah, the innovation um, driver within a company because he has to listen to the customer and understand the customer's needs and then give it back to the back office, uh, to the tech guys, to the underwriting guys, to the smart guys who concipate the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really interesting uh, seeing both sides and being on the road, being with the clients, but also having discussions with the with the, yeah, as I said, uh, the smart guys in-house who create the products who sometimes do not really understand the customer and the customer do not understand what they want of them. And so it's it, it, it's always funny because you're always a troubleshooter, but on the other hand, it's so much fun um, mm. position of a sales guy. 
I think it's that loop, isn't it? I think as you alluded to just then, because I said, if you're not careful, you can launch a product that, and we've seen this a bit in the insure tech market, I would say, is that you can launch a product that academically makes sense, that, you know, it's logical, it's got good maths behind it, it's got good technology, um, but sometimes you're solving a problem that isn't there. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is there's the famous Henry Ford quote, isn't it, about, um, you know, if I asked the customers what they wanted, they'd have a faster horse. And, and so there's that... <laughs> There's that feedback loop of essentially just listening to the customer. Um, they won't necessarily know what the answer is, but but you're the you're the expert. If you've got a good feedback loop, you're taking what are problems from the market and then you're feeding them into um, the business and, and creating solutions. And I think that's where I'm seeing these kind of you know really interesting founders like yourself. Um, we spoke to Amit Patel um, last week who. Is a you know was a surgeon has launched a, 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 and, and worked for Bupa private healthcare and is now launching a private healthcare focused uh, insure tech. So you know it, there's that grounding of like where the problems lie. So the fact that you've got this kind of like a history in insurance and speaking to that's why I think that that's useful. That feedback loop of being a customer facing person, you get to see where where the problems are. Um, yeah. But I don't believe they're always right. I'm not having this customers always right this. <laughs> Certainly not in my industry. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Henry Ford uh, example is um, is one of the the greatest approaches you can drop here as an example. Um, sometimes the, the clients themselves do not really know. There's mm. there's a, a, a great example on the market existing with. Um, Metabiota uh, working with Marsh and Munich Re, which is a really powerful symbiosis at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and they delivered a parametric, uh, uh, sorry, not a parametric, sorry, a pandemic um, uh, solution mm -hmm. um, uh, a year or one and a half ago. Um, uh, and I heard that they sold one or, or, mm -hmm. or zero of that product because the clients imagine that there will not be um, a, a global pandemic happening yeah now we are in the time where every single client asks for a pandemic cover and on the other hand uh, the insurers uh, say um, sorry guys we are not able to to cover that anymore mm -hmm. so i yeah as you mentioned sometimes um the, the it's it's not really a sales function especially with a non-haptic product i would say in insurance it's really it's more a customer relationship management and the consulting function you have, especially mm -hmm. in the in, in industrial insurance market. Um, it's not just saying, okay, here's liability and the client says, yeah, I buy the liability. Of course, it's more really a consulting function. And so it was a great time. And as you mentioned, it definitely helps um, when, you re when you build a startup um, to remember what are the, the customer's needs and what are they looking for because not everything what uh, from the insurance perspective makes sense does mm -hmm. make sense from a client's perspective but i think this is not a uh, already said not an industry specific uh, thing this is with every single other industry more or less the same mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, I i mean amazon is obviously a massively overused example but you know amazon's doing something that's been done it's a retail business well it's obviously a lot more than a retail business with its tech stacks and stuff as well but you know if you take the retail element of it they've just solved problems that that consumers have you know like i hate the fact i use it so much but 
every time I think about using something else, I'm like, well, it will be here tomorrow, though, and uh, I don't have to leave my house. So, um, yeah, everybody, I think, loves the underdog more uh, yeah. and thinks of maybe should I go to the city and buy there or really spend so much money on Emerson, they are rich enough, Jeff has enough money, why should I buy there? But at the end of the day, as you, as you say, the benefit is I can stay on the couch and uh, whatever I'm asking for, it will be there tomorrow. If I, if I need an elephant of India, I will have it two days uh, after I uh, push yeah. the bottom on my Amazon. So I, I do not have any clue where I should get an elephant uh, from uh, elsewhere. So um, yeah. On the one hand, if you pitch Emerson, maybe it sounds like, mm. okay, not really impressive, but you see that the easy things are the most impressive with the, with the greatest impact because you give every single person uh, the opportunity to understand it. So the greatest solutions are the one who are easy to understand. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Which yeah. maybe is a bit different in the insurance industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that, I mean, I, 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 I I want to sort of um, ask you about your academic background, but one of the things that I, I noticed about parametrics was like, in a way, the simplicity of the solution is yeah. is, is the appeal. Um, because I was thinking about this from just from a personal standpoint. So I've I've got um, obviously household insurance and content insurance, and and um, I was but I lived in I live in London, and and I I lived in London for seven years, and and I remember when I moved there, I was like a little country bumpkin, and I thought I was going to get um robbed every week and uh, burgled and obviously it never happened and then three days before I left London to go to the coast I got burgled and um someone broke into my house and stole a load of laptops and um oh, really? other bits and pieces and, and and I was paid out on it um and obviously I was paid out um which was fine but it was just a really long process and actually for me it was just like if I just had some sort of like payment some some payment just some mechanisms went you know i've got a claim here's some money thanks very much and to go off and, and do it myself the simplicity of it would have been worth the not getting the full value for example and obviously that's not what parametrics are um it's much more complex complex than that but the simplicity of a solution like that um is, is the appeal um but we'll we'll dive into that in a second. But I wanted to find out why. So what you're going along insurance? You're doing you're you're doing the role that you're doing the sexy glamorous reinsurance insurance market that you've seen in Baden Baden, and uh, and but then you give it all up to go into academia. What what prompted that? Um, um, I uh, I decided to make my PhD um, with uh, the University of Gloucestershire in, in in Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And then um, I asked a friend of mine from the uh, Munich Re America office in, in New York. Um, I wrote about uh, captive insurances and the prerequisites, um, which is um, uh, at the moment an interesting topic as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe a bit too late for, for my thesis, but okay. Um, uh, and I wanted to find out why the German Mittelstand, uh, um, um, which makes a turnover of, 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 of a billion, does not use alternative risk transfer of products. And this is a much better developed market in the US. And mm -hmm. so Ed Liebrook, um, who is head of uh, Munich Re uh, desk in, in New York City, became my, my advisor. Um, yeah. And um, Someone of the university in Gloucestershire told me um, that they are flying professors for a university in Bielefeld as well. Um, and they said, uh, Marcus, they are looking for someone uh, uh, um, 
who can start making lecturings on uh, sales and marketing in two weeks and they are looking for someone but but they do not find someone and i thought maybe it's something you are interested in and i thought to myself i, I worked in frankfurt and i thought okay frankfurt to bielefeld okay this is a two and a half hours ride for a lecturing but i love to make new experiences and so i had a call with the he said hmm, maybe you should come here and we set up um, an interview and see if it works and i said i cannot come for an interview you have to say me it's okay or not and he said mm, okay you start monday <laughs> uh, 10 <laughs> and first lecturing i came one hour uh, i was one hour delay um, <laughs> yeah everything went on that morning but then i really loved working with the students and the students loved someone from the industry who maybe had a different spotlight on some things and described things a bit differently than mm -hmm. a traditional professor and so they evaluated me great and um, the prof the dean asked me we never met by the way the whole semester we never met and really? he said he really never and he said marcus uh, seems you have done a good job uh, will you do uh, next year two other courses and i thought to myself okay and then cutting a long story short it took one year and they said to me are you interested in becoming a professor and uh, working um, with the students? And um, I said, yeah, why not? Until um, I finish my, um, my doctorate thesis, more or less, um, it's a great opportunity linking those uh, chapters together. And then I set up an MBA program, cooperation with my friends in New York from the uh, um, Metropolitan College and I had a great time. And then it was a student uh, coming in and said, Marcus, I want to write my master thesis on uh, blockchain because it will destroy your whole industry. I, I was always working as a consulting within our industry and did research. Mm -hmm. And he said, the blockchain will destroy everything. And then to link it now to the next uh, chapter you, you, you will talk with me about, he said, the solution works like that and that. And I said, okay, Marco, um, take a seat. We scribble a bit and we, noted something down and I said, okay, the, the, the blockchain itself, that's just from my perspective makes sense if we are going um, into the parametric uh, uh, area and away from, um, yeah, let's, let's say the traditional indemnity approach. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he wrote his doctoral thesis with me and afterwards I realized, okay, um, you can stay now forever in university or you really go out of here and um, um, yeah, found something, get the startup experience. As I said, I love new experiences. And I said to my university, I'm, I'm doing a sabbatical for two years. Now I make a sabbatical uh, in the third year and I'm not anymore with uh, the university in Bielefeld. I'm now um, um, just a visiting professor for uh, digital transformation, which means AI, blockchain, mm -hmm. um, IoT uh, at, a great, uh, at the great ESCP in Berlin. For four, four hours a week, that's fine with me having my students around me and the rest of the day, yes, I'm the founder, uh, as you mentioned, the founder and CEO of RiskX and try to bring the uh, parametric uh, solution um, into the market um, and uh, get a sensitize the people for that great approach. And um, in the next step, I try um, to show the world uh, why uh, the blockchain uh, and all these nice technology things like artificial intelligence um, are so used and helpful for the insurance industry and the, especially uh, when you use parametric it's perfectly possible to link it to to the blockchain mm -hmm. um, 
just to give, just, just, just to give I always do that because I love them guys um, fizzy uh, which was a startup uh, brought by exa um, they are not existing anymore I'm so sorry for the guys but I always drop them in, when I ever on a panel or something like that guys out there if you listen to that podcast and you would love to understand why parametric suits perfectly to a blockchain and how this model could look like have a look on the fizzy case um, mm -hmm. them guys did such a great job but as we discussed earlier in the podcast maybe um, they did a flight delay and it was really a bit of complex things with some cryptocurrency and so it was not let's say for for everybody mm -hmm. um, uh, made for everybody and so um, the idea maybe failed but from a technical perspective and from uh, let's say from an engineering perspective this is the best um, use case i've ever seen in my life mm -hmm. even better than risk x <laughs> all right <laughs> well talk, let's um let's explain because obviously I, I i've spent some time talking to you and and and, uh, and looked up risk x for those people that don't know um what risk x is um yeah could you give us a sort of a brief explanation of what it is and how it works yes um risk x is um the short form for, for uh, risk exchange um and uh, the y um normally is a, is an is, a, is an e but um it, it looks better because it's uh, a Y who looks like the blockchain, um, <laughs> but uh, more or less um, uh, RiskX is um, similar to, to a stock exchange. At a stock exchange, you can um, trade stocks for mm -hmm. sure. And at a, a risk exchange, um, uh, yeah, you can trade risks. Um, the idea behind that is really saying um, a company has the opportunity of uh, tokenize, say, tokenizing their risks, and um, um, it's definitely uh, we just offer a parametric solution. So um, we tokenize the risks, make a parametric solution out of that, and push it through the the platform um, into the market. And the, this is maybe the innovative aspect. That the, uh, as this approach, have many many great startups I've seen out there um, making parametric solutions for companies and pushing it through um, the platform as an MGA or a broker, whatever, to um, insurer or yeah most times to insurers or Akinova pushes it from insurers to the reinsurers. Um, the risk-ex approach works a bit differently. We are focusing on the really hard to place, hard to cover risks mm -hmm. and not just trading because of maybe sometimes capacity problems, not just to the insurers and the reinsurers. We also say um, hedge funds, ILS funds, um, investment banks welcome because mm -hmm. um, the, the great thing with the parametric is really that it's so easy to understand and it's so easy to handle. It's just a if then if this happened, then the payout has been done. And so it's um, easy to link it to, to hedge funds and investment funds, because what we from the insurance perspective would say is a, is a claim um, for them they would say it's uh, it's something like a marching call. If uh, you have um, uh, bought um, a put option or something, you go short on the market, um, mm -hmm. you you get the marching call um, uh, and uh, we sell it to them, not from an insurance perspective. We say you have the opportunity of getting a high 
interest rate. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's if this happens, then there's the margin call coming and you have to make a payout. And um, at the moment, we have low interest rates, as everybody knows, in the banking sectors. So um, we have the luck uh, that there are enough bankers out there who are really looking for new investment areas. Um, and uh, RiskX is um, focusing on risk bonds, uh, risk as an asset class. And we are focusing on um, blue chip companies, well-known big companies, which have their own uh, risk management or captive center means they know about the insurance themselves. Mm -hmm. So they are not um, smaller companies who maybe are the controller is doing the insurance uh, by side. Uh, we are really looking for, for the big companies where risk is a strategic um, element of, 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 the, of, the, of the planning and um, directly linked to the CFO. And so we trade um, their big risk portfolio uh, via our risk exchange to a number of, um, of uh, yeah, what we call risk taker, which means um, people who are interested in, in, in receiving a rate, uh, a great interesting rate. This is what oh. RiskX is doing. Brilliant. I mean, that's that's one thing I was going to ask you because I saw. Um, does I suppose the parametric solution and, and, and risk it's, it's only really sophisticated buyers that can take it because I suppose that's where the insurance industry traditionally adds value to companies is is the advisory of making sure there's enough coverage, making sure there's the yeah. right cover. Um, so you can. It, it, it pushes that to the consumer, doesn't it? The the, the buyer of insurance. It. it pushes that responsibility to them. Um, so presumably, yeah, it's only right for people that have that risk and insurance function. Frankly, uh, sometimes uh, the people ask me, um, especially, um, uh, let's say, uh, the brokers are sometimes a, a bit afraid of uh, when I'm dropping the idea and they say, mm -hmm. where do we come in? Where do we um, sell our consulting um, solution? And um, yeah, our broker, um, our broker business finding um, insurers who who um, who cover that uh, that lines. Um, um, thanks for the opportunity. Now saying we are happy working with the brokers, as we realize that the clients are always happy if they um, still have a consultant um, at the table. But um, we had several discussions in that environment in the last two years in several panels and tables and whatever. And what I realize is that the traditional broker who's just have the slip under his arm and mm -hmm. saying, going from box to box and saying, may you please take 5% and then 10% or whatever is a bit switching really the position into, as you mentioned, making a consulting job and even parametric is, is easy to handle. The consulting job means um, what are the triggers um, for the parametric mm -hmm. um, to find out uh, what are um, the, the, the veritas, which means um, uh, which third independent party we use to say, okay, this really happened for, as an example, for a pandemic. It's not the company or the, the investment fund who say, okay, we have a pandemic now. Um, in our solution, it's uh, the WHO, which gives an official statement, we now have a pandemic. And then for our US uh, covered business, it's um, the state uh, um, governor or Mr. Trump who say, okay, we are now having, um, uh, how is it called? Um, 
state of emergency. Yeah. So we say if the WHO say it's a pandemic and let's say with a focus on a specific area, let's say New York, the governor of New York has to say, okay, we have state of emergency and then the payout is being done. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, there's no influence by the insurer, but also, but also no influence by, um, by the policy holder. Mm -hmm. And so the consulting job is really to say, um, what is a fair um, trigger? What is a fair um, veritas? And uh, what at the end of the day is a fair price for that kind of solution? Um, as this is, um, the parametric is not really new. The reinsurers selling um, to the capital market, uh, catastrophe bonds, et cetera, has a longstanding uh, tradition. But bringing this solution um, let's say closer to the policyholder, um, uh, the traditional um, uh, insurance buyer um, is a bit uh, a new development and uh, I would say a hype thing at the moment um, because, uh, yeah, as we already discussed, it's so easy for the policyholder to understand when a claim is a claim and uh, the payout can be done very, very easy and very, very fast. And especially in times of pandemics, when you have a pandemic cover, uh, cover, it does not help you when you receive the money in three years, you yeah. need the money now. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. a fantastic um, yeah, opportunity um, with, the, with the parametric. Yeah, I mean, um, I the, the, the pandemic has been quite good for your business, one would imagine. Bankers are looking for places <laughs> to put money. Um, and the pandemic, I think what it's really done is shone the light on where some of the traditional insurance um where it falls down you know as you rightly say even if you on cover for business interruption if it's being disputed if you're going to get the money money in six months time uh, means nothing if you're going to go under because you've got no cash um yeah. you know so it, it's it's really it, it's been interesting how much kind of activity there's been in this area or certainly coverage um, I, I think if I'm being really, really honest, I, I sort of parametrics is something that's been on the periphery of, of my conversations. But in the last six months, um, it's been a sort of daily, uh, daily thing in, in all sort of news cycles that I've seen in the news press. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about risk takers and, and, and I suspect. Oh, no, the first thing, actually, no, I wanted to ask you about um um, so the sort of key things to look at the risks that are not covered, and I saw on the promotional stuff, and sort of the sort of fifty-five typical large risks that companies take, and, and only fourteen of them are covered by the kind of traditional market. Um, I'm not going to test you and ask you to name them all, but what what are the kind of most common um, areas where people struggle to get cover that you've, you you're sort of finding this is the solution for with RiskX? At the moment, it's definitely really pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say every single risk. Um, <clears throat> oh, we, we can talk about that, I think, uh, for hours. Um, the, definition, <laughs> the definition, the clear definition of insurance. Yeah. So as I come from, um, as I'm an academic, and so sometimes you, you have your, you, I will not say you have your own definition, but you, you see it from a real an insurance from my perspective is a law of large number means many many people pay in and you have a one of the one of a thousand claims mm -hmm. this is from my perspective then we 
This is my understanding of insurance, mm-hmm. um, because we had that uh, discussion really, uh, as there are some experts, definitely experts out there who say it's still an insurance uh, if you pay um, uh, 10% uh, uh, a year or 15% a year. And pri- from my perspective, then it's not an insurance anymore, because um, then obviously the law of large number does not really work because a premium of 15%, my, my dear, there are uh, a thousand different opportunities than giving um, the insurer 15% of the risk, yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. then definitely use a captive. So, um, but to answer your question, uh, I would say definitely systemic risks um, and pandemic, uh, for example, is a systemic risk. Uh, for me, um, uh, a cyber, a global cyber attack is something like that. Mm-hmm. We had the discussion with, with in Lloyd's Lab Fusion, um, our example was a power outage, um, which means um, there's no power anymore. Um, and there's, uh, um, it was done by the University of um, uh, Cambridge, so you can trust them, people who said it's a one in a 200 risk that New York and Washington have no uh, um, power at the same time. But um, yeah, what, what will happening then? You will have riot attacks. Uh, nobody can work anymore because if there's no power, you mm-hmm. cannot work with the internet and so on and so on. And these are really the high end risks. I would say nobody supposed um, or even you cannot really imagine of them. Mm-hmm. These are the, the real things we are focusing on. Because mm-hmm. you always have to keep in mind that the traditional insurance lines, let's say the property or something like that, there's a homogeneous market existing and then the law of large numbers working. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially everything which is linked with new business environments, political topics, terrorism, things like, mm, let's say, not the traditional property and liability, whatever, where you can see your homogeneous risk and we have thousands of years of data existing and so on. This is more or less our market, really the tailor-made stuff where a big company comes and say, okay, um, we are X, Y, a big a big company with a, a specific focus. We had the example with, um, I just say as an example, Apple. Um, we yeah. these are not our clients, but just <laughs> yeah, for yeah, the yeah. understanding. Yeah. If Apple have, has a, a has a cyber attack, yeah, mm-hmm. and you use the traditional um, the traditional uh, birding, they would receive money because they have been down for twelve hours or something like that, and the forensic and so on. But sorry, this is the richest uh, company in the world. Yeah, their mm-hmm. major problem is not that they need a programmer for for uh, for um, closing the gap or something like that. They have smart guys there. The biggest problem would be um, that Apple and the clients, maybe data got stolen, credit card information got stolen. And then you will definitely have a hit at the uh, NYSE because uh, Mm -hmm. the stock will uh, will slump uh, because the, uh, the, the market will say, okay, they hacked one of the most powerful and biggest companies in the world. And then they have a reputation risk from my perspective. And this is a risk which is really hard to cover, reputation cover. So we say, okay, cyber is one aspect, but in the case of the Apples or the Marriott Hotel who got hacked or something like that, the reputation Mm. um, impact the cyber attack itself. And so we are focusing really on 
tailor-made specific solutions. And um, here comes the capital market in because it's hard to tailor-made something, for example, let's stay with Apple and say to an insurer, okay, he, here we made that, we constipated that. Can you now pay Apple in case of claim 1 billion or whatever, yeah? Mm. Uh, and then the insurer will say, okay, that's a funny thing, but the law of large numbers, um, there are not uh, 100 other companies which I can sell this solution to. Mm. And so it's easier to selling it to the capital market because to, you tell them if this happens, um, you know that the share price slumps. And so they have different techniques and opportunity within their own portfolio saying, okay, if we cover 100 million, if this happened, we know that the share price slumps, so we make whatever uh, put call, whatever uh, option on that um, and link these things together. And so they have different, uh, many, many different um, uh, and other opportunities like a traditional insurance market to mm. patch those risks in, in the next step. Um, a typical insurer maybe have the opportunity selling it to the reinsurer, but the capital market has a wider uh, opportunity. And so they, they are the ones who are interested in that kind of solutions. Mm. I, I mean, I, it's, so, it's so interesting to hear you sort of use that analogy because I think I saw Hank Greenberg talk. I, I, I think I mentioned this to you, but it's got to have been seven years ago or so um and and the thing he mentioned um i think it was the monte carlo uh, review uh, in, in london um before the, the real thing he was talking about cyber then because he was saying he was basically saying where insurance um was failing was because it, you know if you're a large enough company and, and and i think he used google as his example you know what can we offer them as a solution for, for things like cyber cover um, and simply we can't so and, and 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 I liked his viewpoint was actually if we can't offer cover for something then we've we've covered we've failed or, or the model is failing so we need to come up with uh, better solutions because it doesn't mean that um, you know your 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 solution doesn't exclude um, insurance companies you know at all no 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 thanks yeah. thanks for dropping that <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not I'm not interested in. Um, uh, uh, I've spent 15 years in that uh, in that environment. Uh, this is more like um, um, that we would love to assist and bring in, uh, let's say, capacity at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in the in the in the former years, it was really how how did the insurance market earn money? Normally, the combined ratio was always up to 98, 99, 100, sometimes 101, 102 percent. But they had the opportunity of bringing the money, um, uh, the premiums to the capital market and received um, whatever an interest rate of four, five, six percent. And if you mm -hmm. are a huge company with a, a 100 billion turnover a year, of course, at the end of the day, you made earnings uh, um, at the end of the year and uh, your shareholder were happy, everybody were happy. Mm -hmm. But now I would say, it's switching a bit because um, Mr. Powell in the U.S. say um, uh, still zero zero uh, yeah interest rate more or less yeah mm -hmm. so the in, the insurance market has not the opportunity bringing the money to the investment market gaining money um, with the capital market itself um, and the combined ratio driven by, let's say, a pandemic. Um, uh, I read an article in the morning from uh, Swiss Re, uh, Corso, um, and Andreas Berger said they are up to 122% um, combined ratio this year. I think he, he really did a great job, but 
22% uh, is, is a tremendous thing. So what we say is the other way around. We, the people trust in the insurance market and the participants of them, but take the, take the capital market, take them into the, into, uh, the risk financing um, uh, uh, market because they have the money. They do not know where to bring the money to. And the insurance market, on the other hand, has a too high combined ratio. So let's say there's the Swiss Re going um, on our platform and say, yes, we love that risk. We take 10%. It's easy peasy because the hedge funds will trust the Swiss Re and say, if they take the 10%, come on, we take the other 90%, but more capacity for the insurance market, more opportunities um, uh, offering their clients um, solutions for a fair price and maybe modeling new insurance lines and the capital market just saying, okay, we are interested in, in the investment rates, um, uh, but that's it at the end of the day. So maybe the market just switched a bit, but it's not that we say the insurers and the skills, the insurers and the, the reinsurers or the brokers have um, are obsolete, um, but uh, the problems are higher. And Michel Diekmann, the former CFO, or, uh, CEO sorry, um, of Allianz said, um, systemic risk like a pandemic is uninsurable. And he's absolutely right. What he means is an insurer from the insurance perspective it's uninsurable because every single company got hit the same at the same time. And this is not the insurance approach. If you want a, a solution on that, maybe they, you have to pay up to 20%, 25% every single year and, and uh, your clients will not accept. Because in Germany, we always say nothing beats a cheap insurance. And why is it insurance that cheap? Because they know we have thousand clients and one has the fire within his company this year or something like that. But the pandemic hits every single client at the same time. And so sometimes I do not understand the policyholders who said, yeah, we need the pandemic. Uh, we have a pandemic, we need the money. We paid whatever 500 euros a year. And now we need the 500,000 euros uh, uh, um, uh, from the Alliance or the, uh, whoever. Mm -hmm. um, sorry. <laughs> this does not work from, from an academic standpoint uh, or from a mathematic model. Everybody should understand that this does not work. So mm -hmm. the insurers, on the other hand, or, or on the one hand, cannot just say it's uninsurable um, and the policyholders cannot, cannot ask, let's say, someone for covering the risk for the insurance premium. So the, a new market will be created and the policyholder will have to accept that the premiums are much higher for pandemic and systemic risk than for a tra traditional property risk. And on the other hand, the insurance companies will have to understand that they can not drive the solution their own and have to ask the, cap uh, the capital market to support them. That's everything. And what we do is hopefully being a tiny little part of that uh, of that whole market, mm -hmm. linking those counterparts together and delivering um, the technical platform to bring all these things together. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. I think one thing that I'm sort of very conscious of is is the it's and it's not fair to say the insurance market lacks innovation, but certainly kind of as an industry, it's it's tended to be a bit slower to the. Um, adopting solutions and, and and this is one solution for their kind of 
pool of capital that they, they that they can choose to deploy in the same way that you can choose to write in Lloyd's and then outside of Lloyd's and then you can choose to kind of um, you know operate within alternative risk transfer you know these are ways of deploying capital and, and, and you're just giving the way I read it you're just giving another solution um, to something that for, as you said has been deemed uninsurable um, and, and what we mean is it's uninsurable on the current way that we incumbently do insurance so um which is always the way i mean i'd be interested to get your view and i'm conscious of your time so i'll start to wind things up for you um but um i know that i saw i was looking on the risk x uh, company linkedin page and and there was a comment about the, the underwriting room being shut obviously because of the pandemic um <laughs> and and uh and and, and and it said about you know underwriting rooms realistically are, are they just a sort of harking back to um, tradition um, and I think there's a large part of that um, uh, you know underwriting rooms might go does that mean underwriters will go um, I don't know what's your view on that because long long term is you know at the end of the day the banking market is is the one to look to and the, there was lots of people there was physical input there was mental input from experts in their market and they sold on that way. But over time, every time you lost a senior experienced trader, you replaced them with, you know, five developers and, and you know, uh, machine learning experts, for example. Um, do, are we going to see the same thing, do you think? Um, okay. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to answer? <laughs> I, th I think I have to leave uh, to go now. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, look, maybe that's something. First of all, I have to confess, I like, frankly, I've, I've been, we are now in the Lloyd's for the third time. Um, uh, and uh, I, there's nothing I love more than um, than the Lloyd's underwriting room. It's really the traditional, the, the London city, really by heart, I love that. And having a beer afterwards at London Hall with, with some colleagues and so on. I love the atmosphere, but mm -hmm. as you already mentioned, um, what happened in the banking sector, um, maybe not everybody of your listeners will know that, but there's a, a really good um, a series come from the US called Billions. And um, I love that example. They had the trouble uh, in, 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 I do not know the, the, the episode uh, exactly, but they ran into trouble and they had a cyber attack and uh, their young brokers didn't know how to work on phone because mm -hmm. they did not know the other, their prime brokers anymore and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, the old guns, um, X uh, and Wax, uh, then started calling their, their former brokers on phone. And it was really like uh, talking, um, uh, maybe children look that podcast, I will not repeat what they say, but it was really like <laughs> hard Wall Street talking on, on the yeah. phone. And the young brokers who normally just push push uh, uh, on on uh, um, on their laptop really looked like oh what's that and then was wax saying them hey guys call your call your prime brokers in the wall street and 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 sell the bullshit because they have to sell something oh, it would take too long yeah, and they yeah. said we do not even know them we know it's 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 mr whatever sitting yeah. somewhere but i normally just send them an email and so why i'm telling this as an example the banking and the wall street is always a bit in front of the Water Street. Uh, who has ever been to New York? Uh, Water Street, AIG, Wall Street, the banks. So frankly, um, I think that the box-to-box -box business um, 
more or less coming to an end. This does not mean, as we realize now, uh, most of the people at the beginning uh, Zoom and working from home and not mm -hmm. dressing up in a suit and going um, whatever uh, to London City and so on. But there comes a time when you realize that Zoom makes fun and you can have a beer your own <laughs> at home. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, exactly. Maybe <laughs> it's getting a bit more and more efficient. Um, and especially in the global world, um, I think, I, from my perspective, I think there are some people in the US who ask themselves, why do I have to send my broker to meet a broker who has Lloyd's access, who then goes from box to box? Why do I have not the opportunity setting up a Zoom call and speaking directly with uh, TMK, with Beasley, whatever, on Zoom, mm -hmm. or having the opportunity like you have with Bloomberg, pushing a bottom and saying, I want to sell 10% to you guys. It would be still a close relationship, um, mm -hmm. but maybe it would change a bit. And so hmm, some people in the London market will hate me now, or some more. <laughs> um, yeah. I but I would say this is this is the digitization. Welcome to 21st century. I I I I love especially Lloyd's and the way of the London market is working. But frankly, I really think that um, this will be the last generation. I I I'm so I'm so happy that I really got that experience doing that and and having a, a Lloyd's badge. But mm -hmm. I do not know if the people who start now going to university, they have a completely different skill set and they, they mm -hmm. work completely different. And for them, it's not fun uh, driving with the sub um, into the city, meeting friends, whatever. They want to stay at home, having their laptop uh, uh, on the table and just typing in and uh, making sports uh, uh, afterwards, going to golf, going to soccer, uh, read a book, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different uh, generation coming up and they will ask our generation to say okay guys we need it digitized or otherwise we will not work in that uh, uh, in that industry because this is 19th century how you work here this does not give me anything yeah no i think you i think you're right i think i think there's definitely something about that a lot of that's cultural um and that's adoption of course every industry because i'm not sitting here from a position of strength either you know i work in the recruitment industry there's more tools to allow companies to do more themselves um ironically if we start working remotely that plays into my <laughs> plays into yeah. to help because yeah. the amount of people that got jobs down the pub or over drinks that's kind of gone but but realistically rather than be frightened of it you know my role is to run towards the technology and go what technology can i use that allows me to be better at my job how can i add more value um can i do more testing can i do kind of more screening on behalf of my clients and i think insurance is adopting the same it's not that you know that knowledge base and that skill set of these highly experienced underwriters and brokers doesn't need it's not going to be disbanded but it needs to potentially utilize the new opportunities that are there um but i just think culturally there's because it's such a nice place to work you know the lloyds particularly the london market is a little bit it's a little bit of magic you know it and i think i cannot imagine Lloyd's is now 334 mm -hmm. five years old and I think we we cannot imagine um, uh, maybe the big 
Ben is a bit more famous, <laughs> but I cannot imagine um, London without uh, without the Lloyd's Building. Yeah, no. and every every single insurance article you read, you always see the Lloyd's Building uh, behind. Yeah, that, that's 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 the empire of our industry. Yeah. Um, what I mean is really um, the times are definitely changing, and you you you, you mentioned. Let's see the broker's job. And I do not talk about the consulting brokers. I really mean the traditional broker. Mm -hmm. His job was really taking the slip and going from box to box and getting the 100%. So frankly, we are now living in digitized times. Why should I go from box to box if I have the opportunity of pushing the information somewhere? And if, if, there are, if people are understanding what I need, because now we are back with parametric, because it's so easy to understand. Why shouldn't I do that? Yeah, mm -hmm. we love that atmosphere. We love the culture. We really love that. But uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm still with um, I'm still a professor for digital transformation. And some of my students, they will not accept, and they would even do not understand why we love that. They would stand in front of the Lloyd's Building with their smartphones, making make, making a picture, <laughs> loading up on Instagram, and saying standing in front of a fancy building and yeah, waiting yeah, what yeah. will happen yeah and if you then say well this is tradition and whatever they will say yeah cool tradition yeah i've seen that now for three seconds that's fine um yeah. so what we do now yeah we will walk through that why should we walk through that marcus we have seen it now and how long will it take one and a half hours walking through a building why should <laughs> why, can can you not send us some pictures <laughs> it, it's really like that because Frankly, they are. A, 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 it's a different culture. They they mm. are grown up with all these texting, and we are missing the pub with our colleagues and speaking uh, tete a tete and discussing things afterwards. They 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 cannot miss things. They have never. Um, they never experienced. Yeah. Mm. So mm. they. So it's not that we do not love our industry, and I hope. And I th still think that Lloyd's will ever be existing, but maybe, as you said earlier, um, uh, combined with your question, I think it will maybe look just a little different. Um, mm. That um, the boxes are that there's still someone sitting, but maybe they have a headset on and uh, call there uh, and act more like a prime broker, um, mm. having someone from the US on phone. Or, and not someone's coming in with a slip. You have someone on phone in the US and saying, okay, I give you 10%, you push the bottom and then the next call coming in from Hong Kong. Why not? And the boxes are still open from nine to 12 or whatever. Um, but this is, the, this is, from my perspective, this will definitely be the future. And if the, let's say traditional companies, and we have seen that a thousand times, you mentioned Emerson, if the traditional companies just follow their tradition and say, no, we are not interested in uh, um, tomorrow's digital transformation. No, we will not go there. Um, then there will come other companies. I will not say like RiskX, <laughs> but maybe some, some other companies. Uh, and I go back to the, uh, to the first sentence of our interview who understand that this is customer centricity and the customer wants this. They do not want to send three brokers uh, to the London market. They want a solution. And if you tell them, um, I need 
20,000 bucks uh, because I need uh, to stay uh, uh, somewhere in a great hotel um, and spend five days and five dinners and whatever to get the slip <laughs> and to get the slip to 100%. And there's a risk manager who, who who's 28 coming from Wharton who does all these things, do not understand and say, uh, get them on the Zoom call. It costs us nothing. And yeah. if you're interested in having dinner, invite your girlfriend after you have done your job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're taking all the fun out of it, Marcus. No, no. <laughs> yeah, but, but frankly, yeah, but... Yeah, I know, I know, I know, and that's and that's that's the reality, and that's the truth, isn't it? You know, that the, the, we are. That, I think that's it. I repacked it a bit like a, a, a funny thing that it does not sound too hard, <laughs> and yeah. to Marcus Schmabach is now everybody in London uh, uh, um, uh, telling how the future will look like. This is not what I want to do. This is just, as I mentioned, as I have the great opportunity working with you with our future market participants and having also the opportunity uh, staying with uh, uh, um, the, the, the people who have a 40 years career. I love it, standing with them together, listening to their stories mm -hmm. and so on. Mm, but I think it will just, there will be a little change and driven by tech. And this is the only thing um, I would love to say. Yeah. Wonderful. No, I think that's a really good place to end it. And, um, you know, uh, thank you so much for your time, Marcus. I think um, I'm really excited about RiskX. And what I like about it is that um, even for someone that's not a, you know, I'm a service industry to the, to the insurance market, I think it's a simple concept. And I, and I think all along, all the all the sort of businesses I get excited about are the, the simplicity is 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 always the solution. I was I was actually reading something about Instagram this morning, and, and you're going, it's just a simple thing, and and it's a huge business. So, um, what's what's just just to sort of finish up, what's uh, what's next for you in coming months? Um, you know, are, are there are there plans for the next year? Have you got growth plans? Are you going to go out for some investment, or um, or are we just sort of ticking things over? Uh, yes, have have an eye on that. Um, we closed an interesting contract yesterday it uh, mm -hmm. honestly it has not uh, it has more or less uh, something to do with our new office um i will not talk about that now but in the next three to four weeks because um this uh, um yeah we are following still our the strategy we have um but it's we are going onward that's a, the good news um and uh, yeah, funding is always a big topic with a startup, um, as you know, um, but we will have a funding round, um, I think, um, mid next year. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, the rest is doing well so far. <laughs> um, but as I, as I said, uh, we, are still a, we are still a startup. We know where we are and we are just happy having the opportunity working with all that great uh, companies together and um, um, with such great brands and let's see what will happen in the next three, four, five years. But so far we have a lot of fun. Really I like having an interview with you. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Great <laughs> question. Thank you, Alex. No, um, thank you. Yeah. And next time, hopefully, um, uh, at London hall with a beer, um, and <laughs> healthy without all this Corona bullshit. This is what I really cross my fingers for, for all of us. Yeah, me too. Me too. I look forward to that. But um, thanks once again for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great one. Bye. 
as I said, great guest, really, really good fun. And um, it looks like I've got a beer lined up for myself anytime I'm in Berlin or, or Marcus is in London. Um, really, really enjoyed that one. Um, I hope you got plenty out of it. I think RiskX is a really interesting solution. And, and it's a theme. It's much like I was saying to Marco De Carlo, you know, the simplest ideas um, are sometimes the best one. And eff effectively, it's a, it's a very simple concept, um, well executed. So, you know, I, I hope it goes really, really well for Marcus and his team because um, it's, it's a very, very good and clear model. Um, I love the fact we're sort of challenging the status quo in insurance, but we're kind of not um, disbanding anything that we hold dear. Um, I think the utilization of all the knowledge we have is, is the key thing and giving us the tools to do that better. Um, is what almost all of the technology solutions should be about. So um, RiskX is another one that joins that pile. It's, it's solving a problem that perhaps the traditional method can't do um, and offers an alternative to some of the excess capital. So, yeah, it's a great idea. And um, I wish Marcus all the best. Um, thank you for listening. And hopefully I'll catch up with you soon.